I forgot that we have to, uh, we, we do that just so you know, we have these little spaces in our, our worship to make sure that we're bringing along our online community with us. You may or may not know this, but we have people who join us for worship online. So for those of you who are online, welcome. We're glad you're here with us. But uh, we are, yeah. We're one community of faith, right? We, what, what defines us is not where we're seated, but that we're seated around Jesus Christ. Who we're seated around matters much. And th- so that's what we're, we're celebrating this morning. And, and today we get the, the joy of kicking off a new series Joy is certainly an intentional decision in choosing that word because we're calling this series The Lost Art of Gratitude, right? Gratitude is something more than a feeling and something that is cultivated in us, but certainly it begins with some feelings. So the question I want you to think about in your own life is how are you feeling this morning? Some of us might be tired. I'm tired. Some of us might be uh, excited, right? Excited to eat some of the candy that you have lying around the house uh, when you get back from church, or maybe, you know, uh, for some of those, the youngsters, they're looking forward to having lots of candy to, to be able to chew on shortly. Maybe you're just happy to be here worshiping the Lord. You're happy to kind of step away from your regular routine and, and step into a place that's unlike any other in your week. Maybe that's how you're feeling this morning. Over the last year and a half, there have been times where, and, and this There have been times where I felt like Bilbo Baggins from Lord of the Rings. And I'm sharing this because I love the way he describes the the state of his soul, the the place that he uh, feels the most in his inmost being. He says says this to to Gandalf. He says, I feel thin. I feel sort of stretched, like butter scraped over too much bread. You know, like if you you have toast and you've got that little bit of butter and you're scraping, and you're like, ah, come on, you almost reached the corner of the toast, right? I'm just running out of butter there. Right? And have you ever felt like that? Like, does that describe your soul from time to time? I think it does for many of us, knowing the challenges that we've faced over the past couple of years. What about thankful? Does thankful describe a feeling you have inside? Joy? Does joy describe that, that inmost place in your heart this morning? I think there are probably many of us that do, but there's also many of us that, that don't necessarily feel that way this morning. See, the, the difference between uh, being happy, right, and, and being thankful is a relationship, right? Happiness, joy, is, is something we feel, right? It's, it's a gift we receive, but, but gratitude, being thankful, implies that there's a relationship that, that, we're, that, that we receive that joy and happiness from, right? It, it implies that the joy, the, the, the thanks, the, 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 the gratitude that we have in our heart is, is a gift from someone or something beyond ourselves. So I think we, we, we all want to be thankful. We want to be seen as being people who are thankful. We never want to be seen as someone who is ungrateful for the, the gifts we've received, right? We would almost be embarrassed if we were seen as being ungrateful. But the reality is that this idea of joy it, it is hard for us to attain to. It, it, it's hard for us to embrace because many of us, we, 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 our lives are so filled with the challenges and the circumstances of our lives that it's hard to focus on what is good, those good gifts that have been bestowed upon you, that given to you. It's hard to keep them at the forefront of your mind because really the, the frustrations, the, the difficulties, the challenges, those are the things that grab your attention most, most uh, aggressively as, as you go throughout your week. 
I think, um, there, there, well, there was a, a team of scientists at Harvard that did a study on, uh, on gratitude in the lives of people. And, and, and they actually found that that's, there were many healthy benefits uh, for those lives that are more focused on what they have to be thankful for than those lives of, of people that, that had very little to be thankful for. There was health benefits, there was like physical health benefits, mental health benefits to being a person so focused on what we have to be thankful for. But beyond these benefits of gratitude in their life, I found it interesting that these scientists had this to say about, uh, about this, the, the gift of, of gratitude. They said, with gratitude, people acknowledge the goodness in their lives, right? So we, we acknowledge what good we have in our lives. It's not saying that we, we disregard the bad, but, but we acknowledge the good in our lives. And in this process, though, people recognize that the source of that goodness lies for these scientists, at least partially outside of themselves. In other words, even for these scientists at Harvard who are not necessarily driven by the agenda of religion or faith, they would recognize that gratitude is something where you, you acknowledge a gift received from something beyond yourself. And they say as a result, being grateful also helps people connect to something larger than themselves as individuals. See, gratitude is a very important part of our discipleship as followers of Jesus. It, it, it shapes how we relate to God as the, those who receive the gift of Jesus Christ. Right? We, we receive the, the benefits and the blessings of God at work in our lives, and it shapes our relationship with God in such a way that we are thankful to God because of the good he does in our lives. The challenge for us is this, this, this aspect of our discipleship, this art of, of being grateful, the, the, the cultivation of gratitude in our lives, it, it seems to be a bit lost in our day and age. You know, as we look at our lives, we're, we're more apt to look at what's wrong with our lives and, and to disregard what's good. That's not to say that you, have to, that, that, that you should ignore all the bad and focus only on the good. But there's something to be said for intentionally directing your heart and your mind to focus on what God is doing in your life and what he has done in your life and what reasons you have for giving thanks. But at the core of it, at, at the core of this gift of gratitude is the question of what do you believe? A, a moment ago, we sang, God, you're so good. And, and I know when we sing a song as a congregation, sometimes we are thinking, okay, what are the lyrics I need to sing? Am I singing in the right key? You know, you kind of like put your finger up to your ear like, ooh, do I sound off key right now? We, we think about a number of different things. But do we think in that moment, do I believe this? Do I genuinely, in the, in the depth of my heart, believe, God, you are so good? I may not be able to see what that goodness is right now, but I believe it's there. You know, on a we've had some storms the past few days, and if you were to go outside on, on the rainiest of days, you wouldn't see the sun. But do you believe it's still there? Yeah, you know it's behind the storm clouds. You know it's behind the rain. You know it's, you know it's there, even though you don't see it physically with your eyes. Do you believe that God is good, even though it might be hard to see the overflow of his goodness in your life at the present moment? 
I think it's important for us to think about this as we approach this idea of cultivating the art of gratitude in our lives and as we follow Jesus. See, I think what the Bible describes is that gratitude is the fruit of allowing God into your life. It's the fruit of you saying yes to Jesus and then walking day by day in such a way that he is transforming you from the inside out. And as a result of that, God plants the seeds of gratitude in your life as you become more aware of his work in your life and more aware of the the benefits of him having sway in your life. Paul describes it as being one of the fruits of the Spirit, actually. If you open your Bibles, I encourage you to, and turn to Galatians chapter 5. There in Galatians, uh, Paul says this about the fruits of the Spirit. I'm going to give you a minute to get there, as I do too. He, He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. That second fruit is the fruit that is the the foundation of gratitude. When when you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, he begins to do a work of cultivating joy in your life, which is the beginning of the art, not of the art, but of, of gratitude in your life. You begin to realize that joy is not something that you cultivate yourself, You don't pursue the things that make you happy because ultimately you're not going to be happy because those things will fade. You'll suddenly realize, I don't enjoy it as much anymore when I see those things in my life. Joy is a gift, a fruit of the Spirit at work in your life. And, And as such, it's the grounding for the gratitude we can have in our relationship with God. Do you believe this? Do you believe that, that, that the goodness in your life can, can really only be a gift? It can only be something you receive. It's not something that you can achieve or, or accomplish, but it's a gift you receive. The goodness of God poured out because he's decided to. Not because of how, how much you've got your life together or, or because you've obeyed him, but because he is the kind of God who wants to pour out his goodness into your life. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God wants that relationship with you where he is pouring out his goodness into your life and where you, your task is to receive that goodness, acknowledge it, and live in light of the, uh, of the God who blesses us? Now, this is not one of those moments where we should anticipate our lives to always be beautiful and handy and dandy and, and everything to be going smoothly because that's not the reality of this relationship. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Because the truth I want us to keep at the forefront of our thinking and and believing in the days to come is that our gratitude begins and ends with God, regardless of our circumstances. So again, you know, if you have your Bibles, flip over to James chapter 1. James is is a a smaller book. It's right after the book of Hebrews. And uh, I'm going to pick up uh, partway through the first chapter in James chapter 1. Now, James is a book that is written, a letter that's written to, uh, to Christians referred to as the diaspora. They're Christians who have been scattered throughout the land because of persecution, because of being persecuted for their faith and, and their nationality. And so James is writing to them to, to shape how they can live by faith when they're no longer gathered as a people in Jerusalem, 
but spread throughout the land, surrounded by people who, have, who are not necessarily like-minded with them. And, and James has this to say, starting in verse 13. He says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Heavenly Father, this is your word. We, we thank you for your word, which is living and active. Lord, I, I pray that your word would have its way in our hearts and minds this morning. I pray that you would squash any, uh, any ideas or thoughts that are purely of my own and not of you and not of your word and not that what you have declared to your people. May your word be at the forefront of our thoughts and our beliefs this morning, Lord. Transform us by it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, I, I want to challenge you to think about what you believe about God. See, what, what we believe matters. If you were to believe that an airplane can actually take you from Hartford to Orlando, then you're likely to get on that plane, to buckle up, sit back, and relax, because you, you're confident you're going to get there. You believe that this, this vehicle will take up off the ground, fly through the air, and land safely in Orlando. If you truly believe that I care about you, if you truly believe that, that I, I stand up here and I'm trying my best to proclaim God's word and not my own, then you're going to gradually trust me more, right? And you're going to tr uh, gradually trust that, that these words I proclaim from up here are not my own, but are from God's word, right? If you believe your doctors when they tell you that, that too much ice cream is not good for you, then, then you're, you're going to stop eating ice cream after the first half gallon, right? <laughs> makes sense. See, what we believe matters because what we believe dictates how we live our lives. Um, uh, uh, poet Ralph Waldo Emerson once said this. He said, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Now, a lot of this is gardening terminology, but the idea is going way back to those initial thoughts. If you are cultivating good, right, truthful thoughts at the beginning, then, then they're going to become a harvest of good actions, right actions, truthful actions. And, and, and if you're, you're, you're cultivating a garden with, with good, honest, truthful actions from God, then you're going to begin to build a, a habit and a character and, and eventually a destiny. In other words... If we go back to look at the minuscule thoughts and beliefs that we hold dear and in the depths of our hearts, we should be able to trace a line from that belief to how we live our lives and the outcome of our lives, the direction toward which we live our lives. According to Jesus, it's the sum total work of, that God's disciples, that Jesus' disciples would do in believing rightly about Jesus. He says in John, Jesus tells his disciples in John chapter 6 that, that, that the works that they should be working 
are to believe. When they say, okay, Jesus, what should we be doing? What are the works of God that we should be doing? Jesus says the work of God that you've been given is to believe in the one whom he has sent. So as followers of Christ ourselves, oftentimes when we think of the work that we should be doing, we're thinking outwardly. We're thinking, what should I be studying or how should I be serving others? I do it. I think like that. I think, okay, God, how am I supposed to be living my life? But that's not where Jesus starts. Jesus starts way back at the beginning. What do you believe? That's the work you need to be investing in. That's the work that you should be focusing on. What is it that you believe in your heart? What is, what is the, the kind of belief that actually impacts how you live your life? Our lives as disciples are, are summed up in this gradual growth in and confidence in Jesus. Our life is ever-growing in confidence in who Jesus is and in who he says we are. Our life is growing in, in, in acknowledging and trusting in what he has done for us and what he's promised that he'll still do. Our, our job as disciples is to believe more and more in him and less and less in what the world tells us is good and right and true. So I think we should all be more like the, the father of the young man whose son was possessed by demons. You, you may remember the story from the Gospels where this man, he, he brings his son to Jesus. Says, Jesus, my, my son's got something going on. He, he's, he's mute. And, and then he, he starts convulsing and throws himself down on, on the ground. He, he's hurting himself. What's going on? I, your disciples can't, can't help me. What, what's going on? Well, Jesus says, listen, this, this kind of, this kind of, situation can only be resolved through faithful prayer, through, through belief. And you know what the Father says? He says, I, I believe. Help my unbelief. See, belief is not something that you have or you don't have. It's, it's, it's a plant that's cultivated in your life that's ever-growing. And, and this man is saying, I, I believe in you, Jesus. Help my faith to grow. Help it to expand, because when, you can, when he does that, Jesus shows him who he is as, as the Son of God, with the authority to cast out demons, with the authority over all evil and all good. See, what you believe about God matters. This morning, I, I want you to take inventory of what you believe. And it's not so that you can tell me and, and you can receive my approval. Or you could tell God, God, this is what I believe about you and receive God's approval. It's important in the process of growing as followers of Christ that you ask yourself, what do I believe is true about God? What do I believe is true about Jesus? Because that's the thought that's at the core of your being that shapes your actions and your habits and your character and eventually your destiny. A reason for our gratitude. The source of our gratitude is found in God. But we're not going to get there if the belief at the core of our being, the, the, the belief that we hold true in our soul is faulty or wrong. See, James was writing his letter to disciples of Jesus like, like you and I. Disciples who are spread out in the land and not always surrounded by people of like-mindedness. Not necessarily always surrounded by people who will affirm that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That, that, that really, he's the only source of, of what is good and true and whole. 
the people of, uh, of Israel were, were surrounded by, uh, not just surrounded by foreigners that, that didn't share the same faith as they did, but they were being persecuted for their faith. They, they, were, they, they were being oppressed by, by the Romans and, and kind of keeping them in financial debt. Life was not so wonderful for these followers of Jesus. And by the way, that's what, who this letter is written to. It's actually written to people who have, who have put their faith in Christ. He's writing to Christians. And so life is not so good. Life is not so easy. In, in fact, I wouldn't blame them for kind of wondering, did I... Did I turn the wrong way somewhere? Did I make a wrong turn? Did, you know, did, did, I, did I really make the right choice in following Jesus? You, you could understand why followers of Christ might question God's goodness when things are so hard and tough, and it's hard to see the sun beyond the clouds. It's hard to see that God is good in the midst of some pretty, pretty frustrating and difficult circumstances. I mean, how many of us have faced job loss or, or, or death, or, or the uh, death of a, a family member, or illness of a family member, or, or our own illness, and said, why, God? What's the purpose of this? How is this good? I mean, I would imagine many of us would say that, that we've thought that from time to time. We've been in that place to say, God, I'm struggling to see the good in my present circumstances. It's actually not a silly question to ask, because it's, it, it makes sense you may remember that, that Job's life wasn't so great for a while. He, he had, he had a, a, a big family, lots of land, lots of riches, and then, and then he loses all of his riches. He, he, he tragically loses all of his kids in a party accident, and, and then he, he faces this tremendous physical pain. I mean, I don't think anyone would fault him for saying, God, what are you doing? How, how, how is this good, Right? I don't think there's anyone who would blame him for questioning why God would allow him to go through this. But there's a difference here. There's, there's something important for us to notice because the difference is between God allowing us to go through something that's difficult and painful and trying and God being the active agent causing the pain in our life. God does not cause pain in our life. And that's, that's that's something that's important for us to understand and believe about God as we walk through the adversity of faith in this life. And that's what James is saying here. God will not do something that contradicts his character. God will not tempt you because he is not someone who can be tempted. It contradicts his character to do something that is outside the realm of who he is. Church, this is why I'm saying and, and, and challenging us to think about what we believe about God. Do you believe that God is out to get you, that, he's gonna, that he wants to tempt you and, and test you and say, all right, let me, let me throw this at Dan. Let me see if his faith holds up under, under this kind of pressure. See, God has a purpose in allowing us to go through difficult times, in allowing us to go through those times and spaces in our life where it's hard to see the good in our world. God has a purpose for that. James tells us uh, in verse 4 of, of the first chapter, so you just look further up the page. He says, let, steadfast, let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, God has a purpose for the trials that we endure in this world. 
God has a, a, a greater purpose in redeeming the pain and the hurt that, that we face in this world, and, and it's not necessarily to trip us up or to, to reveal those places in our heart that we're most ashamed of, right? God's purpose is to see us become more perfect and more completely mature. And, and that's important for us to remember when we're facing adversity. Do you believe that about God? I mean, many of us could easily give an example right now of, of an area in our life that's hard, that's a struggle, that, that we don't necessarily have the answers to or, 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 or a way to overcome. It, it may feel like it's this ongoing season of life that we're just not really sure how to get past. We're not sure how to change. Do you believe that, that God is at work in the midst of that? that? That he's actually doing what the Bible tells us he's doing? Bringing us to a place of completion and maturity? Making us more and more like his son Jesus? To what you believe about the character and nature of God matters because it shapes how you understand and face the various circumstances you have in your life. Are, are, are those are those circumstances there to, to prove the weakness of your faith? Is God like, hey, I, I want to, I mean, he looks like he's got it all together when he shows up at church on Sunday, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this in his path because I want the people around him to see that he's, his faith is very thin, right? Do you, do, you think, do you think that about God? Do you think that that's what God is about? Or, or do you believe that God can use those difficult circumstances for your good, for his glory? Do you believe that God can give you reason to live with gratitude in the midst of some very challenging and hard circumstances? As a young man, I had, you know, there were probably small trials and temptations in comparison to as you gain responsibility and grow. But I remember my mom saying that, Dan, as you come through this, you're going to be a different man on the other side of this trial than you were when you started. That should give you reason for joy. And gratitude, not, not that you have to go through a hard time, but that God can use it. And it's not meaningless. It's not empty, meaningless pain in your life. It's actually quite wonderful. Do you believe that about God, that, that, that he can use it for good? So I think we see a good example of this in the life of Peter. We all know Peter. Peter's the one who, who said, God, I'll, uh, Jesus, I'll never deny you. And then he ends up denying Jesus three times before the rooster crows. And if you, if you read the narrative in the, the book of Luke, it, it's striking what Peter's response is. It just says he, he went outside and he wept bitterly. Right? Peter was aware of his failure. He was aware of how he had, uh, how he'd, in his mind, let his Savior down. This man who he journeyed with and, and, and loved and, and worked alongside, Peter became so clearly aware of the fact that, that his faith was a failure in that moment. So the question we have to ask is, did, did, God, did God put this before Peter to, to make him slip up, to cause Peter to sin, to, to get him to lie about even knowing Jesus? Or is it possible that God allowed Peter to go through this for some greater good? for some other reason in Peter's life, like, like strengthening him and equipping him for what Peter would face further on down the road. 
Peter was, was an integral part of the church grounding after, or being grounded after Jesus' resurrection and growing and expanding. He was the one at the forefront of the preaching after Pentecost who, who, who led thousands of people to put their faith in Jesus, to see Jesus for who he was and what he can accomplish in your life and what he wants to do through your life. See, in Luke 22, uh, verses 31 through 32, we're, we're told, uh, we hear Jesus say this to Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that, you that he might sift you like wheat. In other words, that he might show your faith to be a failure and, and to, to separate you from God. But I, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus prays that he would have strength in the midst of the trial. That his faith would, would hold up under trial. And not only that, but that the outcome would be that he would be equipped to strengthen his brothers, which he does on the day of Pentecost when he's preaching and proclaiming and, and, and gathering people around the gospel message. See, God's goal for Peter all along was to equip him and strengthen him. Not to let the, the, the pain and the, 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 the triumph or the, the difficulty of, of trial tear him down but to use that for good in some way that he, in a way that he couldn't even have imagined. See, God, God is not out to get you. He, he's not out to punish you for, your, for, for something you, you slipped up and, and did. He's not, he's not looking to lay a trap in front of you to, to see, so that you might see the, the weakness of your faith. God is for you. God is praying that your faith may not fail, but instead that it might grow. Do you believe this about God? What you believe about God is important because it's the grounding of us building into this, this art of cultivating gratitude in our lives. In John 1, 1 John 1, John describes the character of God. He says, this is the message we have heard. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. The, the men's square one Bible study has been in uh, Psalm 119 uh, verses 65 through 72 for a little while now, but there's this one little verse in there that, that struck me this past week. Verse 68, you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. I mean, it's, it's a simple prayer that we can pray. God, you are good, and you do good. So teach me your statutes. Teach me your ways, right? There, there is no darkness in God. Do you believe that? Do you believe in the midst of your circumstances that God is good and he does good? That in him is light and life, no darkness. Do you, do you believe that God is a just God, but not a punitive God? Do you, do you believe that he expects righteousness but gives grace? Do you believe that he's a loving God who, who prays for us like he prayed for Peter? In the midst of your trials, do you, do you imagine, do you, do you realize, do you acknowledge, do you, do you know that God is for you to bring you through the trial, to give you reason for thanks and gratitude, to, to dwell on that grounding of, of the goodness of God? 
God's purpose is to bless you with his love, to, to pour out his forgiveness and his grace in your life, to make you whole and complete. He's not saying, stand back, you're, you're, you're too filled with sin. I'm ashamed of you. You're not, you're not believing enough. God's not judging you and evaluating you like that. He's inviting you to draw near, closer, draw near to his throne of judgment. No, draw near to his throne of grace because he's a good God. And then there's two more very important pieces for us to cling to in asking what do we believe about God? What do we believe about God's character that are important for us to believe? Well, one, he's the true source of everything that's good. And then two, he'll never change from this. This will always be true. James tells us in verses 16 and 17, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. By the way, that's, that's an important language there because it, in three other places in the New Testament, that language is used to say, hey, come closer. Look at me in the eyes. Pay attention. Pay, listen up. Put all the distractions away. I've got something extremely important for you to hear, right? And in every instance, there is something extremely important for the people of God to hold on to and to cling to. And so this is not just like, hey, guys, don't be fooled. James is saying, pay close attention here. What you believe about God and his character matters. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Every good giving and every good gift you receive is from God above. There is no question in your mind that should be that if this is truly good and results in good in my life and in the life of those around me, it's from God. God is doing something there. It's beyond what I bring to the table. It's only because of who he is and, and how he's chosen to relate to his people, to, to be the father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. See, James, in the earlier verses that we read this morning, he's talking about temptation and how uh, our evil desires uh, are the result or lead to temptation, and temptation gives birth to sin, and sin leads to death, leads to separation from God, leads to this brokenness of our relationship with Him. But there's something different that comes from the Father of lights. Something different is born in us when we receive the good that comes from the hand of our Father. Life in God through Jesus births goodness, which leads to gratitude. Life in Jesus births goodness from God flowing into the life of his people, in whatever circumstances we're in, this is not a, hey, believe in Jesus and everything will go well with your life. You're going to face some hard circumstances. But ultimately, it is for God's good and, and his glory, and, and it works out for your good in your life. You will not be the same person you were when you first met Jesus. You may go through hard circumstances along the way, but you can trust and believe that it is God who is working out his good in your life equipping you, strengthening you. So you, like Peter, wouldn't forever live in the shame of, of how you've let God down or let others down, but that you might see that God equipped you in the midst of that and made you stronger and more bold to live by faith and to be 
someone who can bring others along, that you can strengthen your brothers and sisters. This is who God is. God is good. It seems like an, an understatement or an oversimplification, but it's not more complicated than that. God is good, and all that pours out from him is good. It pours into and through your lives. And this truth will never change about God. What happens when the sun goes down? Shadows come out, right? Or shadows lengthen or, or, or decrease, right? The shadows change as the sun goes down. James is saying, that's not so with God. You know, shadows may change, but that's never true about God. God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. God is the definition of good. He's the source of all that's good, and he's determined to use his good character to grow us, to mature us, to bring us to completion, and that's never going to change. We can trust in that. When, when our circumstances say something different, we can trust in this truth, and it's the grounding by which we can be a people who cultivate the art of gratitude, even when our circumstances say otherwise. You, you want to have a, a heart of thanksgiving? You want to be filled with gratitude in your life, even though life is very hard right now? You cling to the truth that God is good, that he's working toward your good, toward bringing you to maturity and, 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 and completeness, that you may not be able to see the sun on the other side of the clouds, but you believe it's true, and it will be what God accomplishes. Church, what you believe about God matters. You can, you can rely on his goodness being a reality in your life even when your circumstances say something different. You can trust that God will work things for good in your life no matter how long your trials may be going on for, no matter how long those difficult circumstances seem to last. You can believe that God will accomplish what he has set out to accomplish in your life, the good that he desires to accomplish in your life. And this, this, is, this is the foundation for us cultivating the art of gratitude in our lives. Our, our gratitude isn't so much shaped by what we have or don't have in this world. Our gratitude is shaped by a God whose very character is good, by a God who is the source of all that's good, by a God who has purposed to use that good to bring us to completion and to maturity, by a God who's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. That's the foundation of this, this art of gratitude. So what, what do you believe about God? It matters. It, it, it matters because as you cling to that truth and that reality of who God is, when you're, when you're faced with trial and tribulation, it gives you reason to cling to thanks, to thanksgiving, to, to gratitude to God because you're clinging to Him and you're not depending on the outcome of your, your worldly circumstances for that gratitude. Church, what you believe about God matters. It's, it's the beginning of the birth of gratitude in our lives. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you, and uh, Lord, we, 
we are more dependent upon you than ever before. Well, Lord, at least we like to think so. The, the exercise of faith, the work that you've called us to do is to believe. And so, Lord, help us to believe. We believe, help our unbelief. Help us to grow in believing in you, to trusting. The next time we, we, we hit a hard patch, the next time we face a trial, bring to our memory the truth of who you are, that you are a good God, that you are the definition of good, that you are the source of all that is good, and that you are a God who pours out, who gifts your good to this world. And so though we may not be able to see it, we can believe in it. And we can stay rooted and grounded in that truth. And so, Lord, birth gratitude in our lives. Shape us so that we might live with more grateful lives. Grateful to you for who you are, for what you've done, and for what you will do in the lives of your people. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.